This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey everyone, just a quick warning here. You're going to hear an air traffic controller swear. Okay, here's the show. Delta 1943, went 35018, On the evening of January 13th, JFK Airport in New York was operating normally. The tower controllers gave various flights their instructions. Here's what the wind's like, go to this runway, get ready for takeoff. And a Delta flight, flight 1943, bound for the Dominican Republic, was getting ready to take off on runway four left. But then something very out of the ordinary happened, causing the controller to swear. Delta 1943, cancel takeoff plans. Delta 1943, cancel takeoff plans. He's telling the Delta plane to abort takeoff because another plane, an American Airlines jet headed for London, had mistakenly crossed the wrong runway, putting it right in front of the Delta plane. On another frequency at JFK, controllers told the American flight, Flight 106, to stay put. American 106 heavy, American 106 heavy, hold position. American 106 heavy, hold position. No one on either plane was hurt, but the two jets, with a combined 282 passengers on board, came roughly 1,000 feet from each other. In airplane terms, it was pretty close. Air traffic control recordings are usually unemotional, but you can hear the Delta pilot's relief when he realizes everything is going to be okay. All right, then. Uh, ooh, the Delta 1943. Like I said, everyone was fine. But this incident was just one of several recent close calls that have worried pilots, airlines, and federal regulators. Just two days before the JFK incident, a key Federal Aviation Administration computer system failed. And there have been at least seven other incidents on U.S. runways and taxiways this year. Planes coming too close to each other, planes clipping wings and tails on the ramp. Plus, there was the whole Southwest computer debacle at Christmas. If you had to put an adjective, like, on the state of the system right now, what would it be? Fragile. That's John Ostrower, the editor-in-chief of The Air Current. John has covered aviation for years. It is a fragile system. And fragility can be mitigated. And if you know you have a bum ankle, don't go out and play rugby. Go easy on it and just work your, work your way back more slowly. And look, this country does not like doing things slowly. We like doing things quickly, and we like having everything operate at the speed that it needs to operate at. And again, we have to listen to what the system is telling us, and it's telling us that you gotta slow down. Today on the show, how did it all get so bad? Is it the people, the tech, or both? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This year's incidents on runways and with failing computer systems have understandably generated a lot of press and hand-wringing. But John started noticing problems in the air travel system a year and a half ago. In October of 2021, there was a big cascade of thunderstorms that rolled across Florida. And it messed up Southwest Airlines. Actually, that was one of the first indications that that their IT systems were were not, not ready for major disruption. And in Southwest Network, about 40% of their airplanes touch Florida on any given day. It's a huge number of airplanes. They have like about 750 airplanes flying. So you think about the the massive, massive fleet that is required to run an airline like that. And so what happened was the staff were exhausted. You know, we we described it when we reported on as a burnout more than a meltdown. The the staff were, were exhausted and ultimately in the pursuit of trying to run the schedule that they had, everything, it was kind of a smaller scale version of of what happened in Christmas 2022. And it was the first warning sign from our perspective, or major warning sign, that the system just was not ready to accommodate the operations that the schedulers wanted to throw into it. To understand how it got to this, you have to go back to March of 2020, In the depths of the pandemic, U.S. air travel effectively stopped. Hundreds of thousands of people were furloughed or laid off. Others took early retirement. So getting the system up and running after that wasn't easy. Even after massive hiring pushes, there are trainings and safety certifications and just everyday practice. If you run a marathon once a week, you are in top shape and you are ready for that, and that is what you do. If you stop running a marathon once a week, and you try to get up and run a marathon after sitting on your couch for, for several months, you're going you're gonna to hurt, and you're not going to be ready for it. And so April 2022 rolls around, and the mask mandate goes away. And all of the people that wanted to get back on an airplane, that didn't want to be hassled by masks or, or whatever, the demand exploded in the U.S. And so the airlines wanted to go flying again. And so what we had was huge amounts of demand coming back into the system for a system that literally was not ready to handle it. Airlines have been hiring like crazy. United was running ads offering $10,000 signing bonuses for ground technicians. But it's hard to make up for what was lost during the pandemic. One estimate I saw was that that pilots are, I guess, there's like a supply gap of pilots of about 18%. Does does that feel right to you that we basically have 18% fewer pilots than we should? Well, let's put it this way. You can't fly a 2019 schedule unless you have a 2019 number of pilots or airplanes or, you know, folks 
at the gate or handling baggage or maintenance or whatever. So the system itself, its capacity is ultimately limited. All of this is happening as the U.S. economy bounces back from COVID. People want to get back out traveling again. The U.S. economy itself at a GDP basis is larger than it was before COVID. And so air travel demand and GDP are very closely tied. It's about 2x the GDP growth is the amount of demand growth in air travel, generally, roughly speaking. Hmm. And so as the U.S. economy comes back, the airlines just cannot accommodate that level of demand, including all of the pilots that need to get trained and retrained. And, you know, look, I think it's really important to point out that there's a really big difference between qualified and experienced, right? In terms of pilots? In terms of pilots, right? And so we had a massive loss of experience within the pilot corps in terms of the number of hours seasoned pilots who, who have done this day in and day out for decades are exiting the system. And a whole host of new pilots who are qualified and trained, but not as experienced, and everyone starts with zero experience on day one, and they come up into the system. And, and I should just point out, they do not have zero experience on day one. <laughs> they, are, they, have, they have at least 1,500 hours to, to uh, enter uh, regional airlines. They have to do another 1,000 to upgrade to, to captain. So it's not, it's not zero. But everyone starts on day one on the job, right? And, and, and it's a new job. As we head into FAA reauthorization, they're, they're, the chairman signaled recently that there was no way that they were going to touch 1,500 hours. I don't know if that's going to be the case now, hmm. uh, but it's definitely something that I think the industry is watching extremely closely. And certainly the, the flying public should be watching extremely closely because it would likely change how pilots are trained. And ultimately, you're trying to get a better, more in-depth, relevant set of training that goes along with flying, right? You know, you, you don't want just someone boring holes in the skies, flying circles, and call it relevant training. So there's this evolution of training that's gone on that I think is going to be really, really important to where we go over the next year and the rest of the decade. But at the end of the day, that's only part of the equation. We don't yet know whether experience in the cockpit was a factor in this year's incidents. We don't have final reports on any of them from the NTSB. We have some, we have a few preliminary reports here and there about kind of what the circumstances were, but we don't have that level of, of probable cause. So we can separate each of these and not know what the final outcome is. However, from a systems perspective, we know that the system is showing serious signs of strain. And the FAA is responding to that. It was really striking to me that Scott Kirby, the CEO of United, went on the company's fairly recent earnings call and, and said essentially that the industry was not prepared for the current situation, that it was trying to operate on a whole like it was 2019, but it's not. We believe any airline that tries to run at the same staffing level that it had pre-pandemic is bound to fail and likely to tip over to meltdown anytime there are weather or air traffic control stresses in the system. He's absolutely right. Are behind. You, I mean, even in the earliest parts of COVID, we we we're seeing the fact that you cannot get back to 2019 levels of operations and capacity unless you have a 2019 infrastructure. That includes ATC, that includes you know, folks on the ramp, that includes pilots, that includes airplanes. And every single point of the aviation ecosystem is strained in some way. 
What does the rest of that picture look like? We, we talked about pilots, but they are one part of an incredibly complicated picture. So what does the rest of this sort of hiring drop and then surge look like? There's also the availability of airplanes. So Boeing and Airbus both would like to deliver and produce more airplanes to actually deliver to airlines like United. United is something like 130 737s coming from Boeing this year. And that's what it says in their regulatory filings. Behind the scenes, everyone involved is like, that's not going to happen. They're not going to have the pilots. They're not going to, the planes aren't going to be ready. They're not going to be able to produce that many. And, you know, the big bottleneck right now uh, within the aircraft manufacturer sector of all this is the availability of of engines from GE and Pratt & Whitney. And Pratt & Whitney and GE both uh, are on Airbus airplanes and just uh, GE and French company called uh, Safran. Uh, on a joint venture called CFM on the 737. And so um, they're just not able to get the the engines they need to deliver the airplanes and ramp up production in a, in a, in a meaningful enough way to deliver on the demand. That might be a good thing, by the way. You know, cramming too many airplanes into a system that is having trouble with the ones that are already there is definitely something that should give everyone pause. And so a system has a way of slowing itself down on its own, sometimes catastrophically, sometimes in more measured ways, where we just see a strain on the system said, okay, well, you know, an IT meltdown, for example, we saw at Southwest Airlines, right? You're taking me to my next question. Yeah, well, there you go, right? Exactly. So, I mean, the, again, the system, it, it, it's an amazing thing because you have to look at it as a system. And the system is made up of all of its different parts and constituencies. And they cannot operate independently of one another. And so you see the, the, the system itself just, again, throwing off red flags left and right about why there needs to be a, a slowdown in sort of how we come at this. And, you know, maybe we're not going to get to 2019 levels this year. And the system can accommodate that. And the FAA is saying, hey, get ready for delays over the summer. And because of ATC staffing issues. And you know something? There's only one entity within the entire U.S. aviation ecosystem that can slam on the brake. That's the FAA, fundamentally. When we come back, what about the tech this complex system relies on? We've been talking about kind of the system and the human components of it, and I want to talk about the tech. Um, The Southwest debacle around the holidays, and then the notice to air missions ground stop in January, I think caught a lot of people, even people who do not pay attention to this stuff, caught their attention and underscored the, I think it's fair to say, antiquated technology that underpins a lot of the U.S. air travel system. I wonder how you would describe the technological universe around this system. It's really hard to change your tires on your car when you're going 85 miles per hour down the highway. (laughs) It's not a system that changes easily and upgrades easily because you can't say, hey, oh, by the way, hey, guys, we're taking off flying from Wednesday to Friday because we need a new IT system. And you're just, everyone's going to have to stay home. So you have to find a way to upgrade systems as they're running. And there is a... a a risk analysis that goes on both in FAA, at the airlines, that says, okay, if we upgrade this system midstream, 
and we fall over in the process, that's going to be disastrous. Okay, is the system working now? Okay, don't, don't mess with it. However, you hit a pandemic and any priorities that were in the system in terms of whether it's cabin upgrades or IT or, or whatever, get put on the back burner. It's like, we need to survive. And IT systems were not in the mix, right? particularly at, at Southwest. They were working on it, but everything just got slowed down during COVID. There, the, there, if there was spending an airline, it was done to preserve cash and allow the airline to just continue to breathe. And a major IT upgrade to crew scheduling and the integrated nature of that with irregular operations and trying to figure out where pilots are and pilot scheduling and flight attendant scheduling and, air, and all that. It, it, it doesn't become the high priority in that moment. Except, obviously, when it is laid bare that that is an antiquated system. Which became startlingly clear over the Christmas holiday when Southwest's crew scheduling software failed, just as massive storms swept the country. Thousands of passengers were stranded, and the airline lost almost a billion dollars in revenue. Yeah, you know, Brad, we're seeing the uh, the financial damage really done here from that holiday fiasco. Uh, Southwest reporting a loss for the core, like you mentioned, taking an $800 million pre-tax hit from that fiasco. Like you said, 16,700 flights canceled during that 10-day period. It is, an, again, a phenomenally, unimaginably complex system that is not as resilient as people thought. And guess what? I think it, it, all, it, in a lot of ways, it mirrors how we all felt after COVID. You know, it was like, okay, time to go back to normal, time to a, back to a, a regular, you know, regular day at work and nine to five and everything's going to be totally normal. And it's like, no, things are not normal and they are fragile. And there needs to be a, a, again, a recognition that at all levels, all is not right and ready to go back to 2019. It feels like the, the, the tech maybe is playing a, a bigger role in, well, I don't want to say playing a bigger role in these incidents, but but maybe in terms of the need for modernization. Is that fair? It is. And, and, and the fragility of the system ultimately is, illust- is illustrated when it tries to get past its own capacity. And if the IT technology within it, whether it's, whether it, it's the human element of you have overworked air traffic controllers and the systems that they're using are not reflective of the latest technology and the ability to grow the capacity of, of a, a national aerospace system, yes, this is what you're, this is what you're getting out of it. For, for, what, 20 years now, the FAA has been engaged in, in something called the next-gen system, the idea of kind of moving away from the radar that has controlled the air traffic system for, for a long time to more like GPS. Um, how, how would you describe what next-gen is and how that effort is going? Yeah, next-gen is the FAA's long-term effort to take effectively a lot of the infrastructure that was put in place during the Cold War for aviation and move it into uh, to the space age. <laughs> that would be the 1960s. That would be the 1960s. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, maybe that's not the right. But, but, but the... The system needs to improve on a bunch of different levels. Okay, so so next gen will allow for things like more aircraft flying more precise, lower carbon emitting routes. So it's a big piece of this is, is climate change, right? But it's also capacity about how many aircraft can you fit in in the system. And so by using 
uh, more precise technology that whether it's satellite based or the aircraft technology itself, the ability to reduce the spacing between aircraft, you can ultimately fit more aircraft into a given into a given area mm-hmm. safely. And so this is taken again, as you said, the, the, the better part of twenty years to to un- unravel the system. But I think it's important that to understand that the that the national airspace system should be something that is continuously improving. And whether or not you you call it you know next gen as a block, it's that that it is this sort of constant evolution of of improvements to, to the system. And a lot of this is trying to convince airlines, hey, you guys need this type of technology ready to go on your airplanes to be able to use it. And you've got the FA saying, well, okay, well, we need to get, you know, on our end, be ready to, to have those systems in place. And so there's definitely this kind of almost exhausting trope of, of government and industry tripping over themselves to one's kind of pushing back to slow down because they don't want to spend money. The other, the other wants the modernization, but, but can't get, get, get the pieces together. And they're working, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out how to get the budget from Congress. And Congress is using FAA as a, as a hot potato for political fights. It's like, well, hey, I think it's probably long past time we start looking at the national airspace system, not in that way, and actually be like, okay, we just came through a pandemic. How do we actually solve this problem? This year, the FAA is up for what's known as reauthorization in Congress. It's a five-year cycle when the agency is funded and most of the big players in aviation come together to figure out national priorities. It makes sense that updating the tech that the whole aviation ecosystem relies on should be at the top of the list. You know, it, it's it's kind of amazing. We, we, we find ourselves at a point where, where the FAA has been and also European regulators have really leaned into the idea of next generation air mobility systems. So, you know, uh, electric flying taxis and regional air mobility and uh, potentially, you know, trying to get uh, more electrical uh, systems on smaller aircraft to have air taxis flying between, you know, midtown Manhattan and Newark, for example, or, you know, downtown Chicago to O'Hare. And a lot of us who are covering this on the outside are going, wait a second, hold on, you're going to put thousands of these vehicles into an aerospace system that is really having trouble keeping 737s and 767s from, from getting too close to each other. And look, these guys are, the, the new entrants are looking at, you know, 2024, 2025, 2026 for this. And that's not a long time from now in the, in the aviation world. So these are problems that are going to have to be solved now, and they're going to have to be solved by slowing down. The FAA is going to have to be the traffic cop here. And it's not going to make the airlines happy. And there will be fingers pointed. And I have no doubt that that's going to be a fight that, that, that we're going to see play out in public. But the reality is that the only way to get this, the stability and the resilience that I think people demand from their air traffic system is going to be slowing down. The accumulated incidents led the FAA to, to hold this aviation safety summit this past month. Um, be a cynic with me. Like, what was the purpose of that? Was it was it safety? Was it problem solving? Was it PR? Yes. <laughs> there is an exercise in public relations and showing to Congress that you are on top of things and the, the public that you're on top of things. And, and by the way, that's the way it should be. They should be doing that. But it's also the call to action. This is the right time to do it. You don't want to have a safety summit the day after a major crash. We have had an unbelievably safe system for 20 years. The last 
major air crash in the U.S. was in 2009. Colgan Air in Buffalo. Continental Connection Flight 3407, bound from Newark, New Jersey, was heading for a landing in Buffalo, New York last night when the pilots noticed, quote, significant ice buildup on the windshield and on the front edge of the wings. The twin-engine turboprop nosedived into a house on Long Street in the Buffalo suburb of Clarence Center. All 49 people on board and one in the house were killed. The and first American 587 right after 9-11. That was a long, long time ago. And we have had this incredible run of, it's not luck, by the way. It, it, is, it is really the, the accumulated experience of the safety systems that have been put in place. And again, when you have a system that is strained as it is, and you have the exodus of experience, it makes it that much more vulnerable to happen again. And I don't think we should be taking that for granted. Right now, the FAA only has an acting administrator. The Biden administration has been trying to get a nominee through Senate confirmation, but just had to withdraw its choice after Republicans objected and independent Kirsten Sinema scuttled a key vote. Well, I think when you're at an airline, you're looking for guidance on policy. And you're looking for leadership on policy. And I think absent a confirmed FAA leadership, it makes it hard. It makes it hard to figure out, okay, who's making decisions over there? And are they permanent? And are these decisions going to stick? And so, yeah, it does matter. It does, and, it, and, it, and it matters regardless of the occupant of, of the White House or the Congress. And so having things not be political footballs is really important. And this is the type of area that can't afford to be mired down in confirmation politics. Good luck with that. Yeah. Well, okay, we're heading, well, we're in FAA reauthorization on Capitol Hill. That sounds super boring, but what it means is the money that comes from the federal government for this system. Is that happening in a vaguely functional way? TBD? <laughs> nice branding. Yeah, there you go. Um, is it happening? Um, it's too soon to tell in terms of how, how it's going to play out. Uh, we obviously have a change of party uh, running the House, and so that does affect how things come together. It, it, it should be, a, in theory, a partisan-free exercise. It historically has not been a partisan-free exercise. If it can get messed up by the debates in Congress that have nothing to do with aviation, aviation safety and operations, chances are probably probably will. You mentioned, of course, that the U.S. air travel system is is incredibly safe. Like, you might be annoyed, your flight might be canceled, but it is overall extremely safe. Um, so I guess I'm wondering how someone who is listening to this, who doesn't think about aviation all the time, who takes a couple of flights a year, should think about all the things you and I have been talking about right now. The goal of any aviation system is to not have to worry about thinking about it, right? You, you go to the airport and you get on an airplane, you sit there, you might complain about the leg room, person next to you is coughing. You get there, get off the plane, get where you're going. The flight becomes the, the, just the, the means to an end. That should be the way it is. And given the, the level of hyper-focus right now by NTSB, by FAA, by industry around this, that's really valuable. That's really, really important. 
Because no one is waving their hand away, being like, this is not a problem. And I think it shouldn't be the average passenger that should have to think or worry about air safety. That's, that's the entire beauty of the system and why it works as well as this, because it doesn't require us to, to freak out being like, am I going to make it? No, no, it's, that's not, that's not, we're, we are users of the system and it is our baseline expectation that some infinitesimally small chance of you not getting there is, is the outcome. And no, that you're, you're going to get there. And so I think the way travelers should think about it is that the system is ultimately having the immune response that's necessary. There's a, there might be a, a fever, but right now we see the necessary steps being taken, which again, first and foremost, is slow down. And slowing down, it's not popular. You might not get there on time. But I think everyone would, would agree that arriving late is better than not arriving at all. John Ostar, thank you very much. My pleasure. John Ostauer is editor-in-chief of The Air Current. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Shannon Palace. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. And TBD is part of the larger What Next family. We're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Join Slate Plus. It's the best way to support us. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we'll be back next week with more episodes. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. <laughs>